feels a little strange not having been up here in a while, you know. I hope that, uh, that you are reading through the lectionaries of Judaism and Christianity, those texts that each week we put on the Facebook pages and others, that comes from the traditional readings uh, going back maybe to the time of Ezra, certainly existing during the time of our Lord, uh, that were read in the synagogues and in the congregations. And then added to that the tradition of the readings that was... Uh, drawn from that tradition for Christianity. And of course, we use the Jewish lectionary, the Eastern Church and the Western Church lectionaries for our own readings. Um, I think it's important because uh, we are reading in a way that is timely text connected to the various holy days, uh, both in the Jewish calendar and the Christian calendar. But the other thing is, uh, it makes us mindful of the scriptures that are also being read and understood by those from the past and those who, can, who follow that today. So in that sense, <coughs> we are reading what believers are reading around the world um, and thinking on those uh, scriptures together. Now, um, Trevor just completed a, what I thought was a very good series on biblical parenting. And soon I plan to do a series on the, uh, the place of music and worship, really looking at our hymnal and the hymns and the songs that are there. And I don't know if you noticed, but uh, there was a word change in one of the hymns we sang today uh, that said, Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Um, uh, the, the word that used to be used was ransom soul. Raptured was used... I think earlier than that, uh, and then because the word rapture in, in many people's minds is this catching away, and it's not talking about that. It, some hymnals use ransom so that you, it's that, others, it's rapture, the idea of, of glory and just being uh, uh, stunned by the presence of God uh, when, when we see him. So part of what we want to do when we go through that series on music and worship is look at the wording of hymns and the meaning of them and the the depth of the theology or the shallowness of the theology that's there and what should we be reinforcing ourselves with and what should we not be reinforcing ourselves with. But today I want to talk about a uh, passage that's in this week's readings from the lectionaries. In fact, this next Sabbath, since today is the first day of the week, the reading for next Sabbath is the one that we have. Uh, the, the Torah reading uh, is excellent. All the readings are excellent. But the one that caught my attention, as I tend to read back and read present and read future as I'm putting these together so I kind of know where, where we are, was the half Torah reading for this week. Uh, that it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, uh, 2 to 34. And the reason that this particular passage struck me was I have been um, bothered, to, to say it mildly, by the Facebook uh, and Twitter offerings that are coming from people claiming to know God uh, that spends a great deal of time griping about the paganism in Christianity and the legalism in Judaism and all of this, and really looking uh, at, at things from the most negative and judgmental sense. In many cases, people saying and doing things that I would subscribe to, I think that those are appropriate biblical things, but they are saying it in a way that is so negative and judgmental towards others and so self-righteous in their own thinking that, that they have missed the whole intent of the scriptures. Uh, I, I heard one particularly about the Lent season where somebody tried to uh, talk about the putting on of ashes as a pagan uh, expression. Now, pagans put ashes on their foreheads. So did Jews. Um, the Christian 
communities grew out of Judaism, I wonder which group they were mimicking and which group they attacked. Originally, they attacked the pagans. Eventually, Judaism and Christianity began to separate from themselves. But we now know that that was much later in time than once believed. Maybe as, as late as the 5th or 6th century before it's finally separated. So there's a lot of things that people attribute in Christianity to paganism that are really adaptations of Judaism for the Gentile context. Now... Why did I say that? Well, I say that because a lot of times we quote scripture, but we're not being biblical. And so today I want to uh, take from that First Samuel a, a statement that is really the title of my sermon, Obedience uh, Rather Than Sacrifice. And I want us to uh, consider this, particularly as we're going through... Uh, Lent and observing it at various levels, really this preparatory area that follows in parallel the Elul and, and Days of Awe towards Yom Kippur, where Christianity sees the theme of Yom Kippur in what, what has been traditionally called Good Friday or the crucifixion. The idea that the death of the Messiah is a sacrifice like that of Yom Kippur and Yeshua or Jesus being the high priest who will present his own blood before the Father that is part of this season, even though the fulfillment of Yom Kippur is in the fall when the second coming and the return will fulfill those things as well. So, if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 2, um, I want to... Uh, 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 well, let me start with verse 1 because we might as well cover that. And I want to read the first nine verses. He says, Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over the, his people, over Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish uh, Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way when he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but put him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Tilaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek, set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go and depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. What we have here is a parallel, very similar to the idea of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you see those who are blessed of God, those who, who acknowledged God, are being given uh, an escape before that judgment hits. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah uh, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So far, so good. One little proviso. Why is he keeping the king alive? Now the next verse. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. So what we have here is Saul's first act as king. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, I am now going to judge uh, the Amalekites, for what they did. It's been a while. But when Israel came out of Egypt. The Amalekites gave them grief. And caused them problems. Uh, not allowing them to, to the passage into the promised land. As should have been done. And so God is now going to judge them for that. And he is going to do that. Because Israel now has a king. And, and in that sense is united in that context. 
he was to destroy all the people, the flocks, and everything that they had. But instead, they kept the king and the flocks, at least the best of them, uh, out of this system. Now, they've obeyed generally, but they have not obeyed specifically in this context. So, with that in mind, we look at the next five verses. In verse 10 he says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Now Samuel really has a heart for God and a heart for the people was not happy when the people wanted a king, felt like he was being rejected. And the Lord said, no, I'm being rejected. And Saul becomes this perfect ideal leader. Everybody agreed. He is a, he is a good warrior. He is tall. He is good looking. He's everything that we should have as a king like the other people. And so Samuel anoints him. And immediately after his first act, the Lord says, I wish I'd not made Saul king. And Samuel is distressed. And so Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told to Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself. And then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Now what what is Saul doing? Saul is being a typical king. And kings need monuments. They need monuments that declare what they have done. And most of the monuments of kings are bragging stones that say, I went in and conquered this group and I destroyed this group. And so what Saul has done is, he has kind of obeyed the Lord and now he's bragging about it and made a monument to himself at Carmel. So, we hear these words. Samuel comes to Saul And Saul says to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord. So here comes the prophet, Saul greets him, Hey, blessed one of God, I've done what God told me to do. A lot of people do that. I obey God. I'm doing what God said. Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the The oxen which I hear. You took a bunch of sheep and oxen with you into battle? What what is this? And Saul said, They brought them. Notice, this this is Adam. The people that you gave me. They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Oh, okay, okay. We came up with a better plan. I know God said to destroy them all, but these are good sheep and good oxen. We're going to use them as an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord your God, to thank Him and to glorify Him for the victory that was ours. The rest of them, we've already taken care of them. So Samuel says, would you wait a minute? Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Now what do you think Saul's expecting? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because as far as he's concerned, he's obeyed God. But as far as God's concerned, God wishes he hadn't made him king. Now, I would suggest that that means that Saul and God were not on the same page. You with me? Who's on the wrong page? We always somehow think we're on the right page with God. Saul is thinking that himself. So what does he say? Speak. So Samuel said, Is it not true that though you were little in your own eyes, 
you were made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission. And he said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Now, why is it evil? Because the Lord is going to supply from their flocks the sacrifices for him. He never asked for sacrifices from the flocks of others. He said, you take them all out. So Saul says to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. And I went on the mission which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agog, the king of, the, of, of Amalek. And I have utterly, utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Kings don't kill kings. You know, you capture kings. Then they become vassals. And, you know, that's how it works. I, I, you know, if the Lord was here, he'd know that. That's, that's the way things are done. But the people, you know, I'm working, trying to keep this king, you know. The people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the choices of things devoted to destruction. They, they put a vow on them. They're not, they're not going to keep them for themselves. They're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. The arrogance of arguing with the Lord is something I think we can all identify with. That self-justification. Self-justification doesn't work with the Lord. Uh, sometimes it works with other people. I think Saul thinks that Samuel will go, okay. okay. But that's not what he's going to say. So now, here is the heart of the message. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? I want you to consider this. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to hear with the intent of doing <clears throat> better than the fat of rams. Because rebellion is as the sin of divination. Not obeying the word of the Lord is the same as getting commands elsewhere and saying, I'm following what the Lord said. And insubordination is the same as iniquity and idolatry because you are serving two masters, your own thoughts and the Lord's. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Pretty harsh punishment. But first time out. You'll notice God tends to very early in any groupings. The man who broke the Sabbath right after the Sabbath was established. What do we do with him? God said kill him. Ananias and Sapphira, when the community is beginning to give benevolence, they lie about it, they're killed. God's not going to kill everybody, but He's going to take those first ones and make an example of them so that others will fear. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So He says, you have disobeyed God and you are now going to be rejected because obedience is what God wants, not sacrifice. We are rebels and we are insubordinate when we disobey the word of the Lord. And that's the, the heart of lordship. We are to obey his word, his will and his commandments. Not the thoughts of our own hearts and the ways that seem best to us. Well, how? Because you, know, you know what we do. What's the minimum I can do to obey the Lord and say I've obeyed the Lord? Or, I'm going to go beyond the commandment and outdo it. And what does he say? 
I don't want you turning to the left. I don't want you turning to the right. I want you to do the way I said. Now those of you who are parents understand this principle wonderfully. If you have a child that does what you tell them without changing it or embellishing it, that is a pleasant child. It's a rare child, but it's a pleasant child. right? But a disobedient child who then praises you is a frustration to your soul. Because you know they're, getting, they're trying to get away with disobedience. Reminds me of a story I once heard about a mother who came into the kitchen. She had uh, moved the cookie jar several times and uh, finally had put it up on a high shelf and she comes in and the kid is hanging from the shelf with a cookie in his hand and she says, what did I tell you about not eating those cookies? And the kid says, I was getting it for you. Not obedience. Creative, but not obedient, right? Wow. So, God is less concerned with being impressed by our creativity and our accomplishments and wants us to trust Him and obey Him. And the scriptures are pretty clear about this this concept. It's just a difficult thing for us because we either want to impress God by overshooting the mark making up commandments he didn't command and then holding ourselves to them, the traditions of man, or rejecting the commandment and say, well, I've done substantial compliance. So God says to Saul, you've rejected my word and I've rejected you as king. Now, I want you to look at verse 24 and following. Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and I listened to their voice. That is an accurate confession. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Ali, ali, oxen free. Okay, I, oh, I was wrong about that. Okay, let's, let's, go, let's go now and, and do the sacrifice in Gilgal. He's not repented. He's just come to God and said, Okay, I'm wrong, I sinned. Now let's go forward with, this, with my plan. See, what Saul should have done at that point was said, You're right, I've sinned. Bring the king to me. Whack! Bring those animals, slaughter them here. We will not make one more step until we have obeyed the word of the Lord. But he's not going to do that. He still wants what he wants. That is why Saul is being rejected. You will see in Saul's life this pattern all the way till David becomes king. Saul never gets it. I will have obedience and not sacrifice. Israel did this. Saul should have known this. Israel said, when they sent the spies in the land, the spies came back and said, it's everything God said it is, but there's people there, and they're big, and they're good. we can't take them. And Joshua and Caleb are going, we can do it. And the people cry all night, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. So God says, all right, then you're not getting to Go into the land. So what did they do then? We're we're going into the land. And Moses says, are you kidding me? Now you're going to rebel the other way? Right? I mean, what, what Saul should have done is destroyed all that, taken his crown, given it to Samuel and said, I repent. I will serve the next king. But that's not Saul's plan. Saul's plan is to stay, even though he knows he's rejected of God, to stay in his place, and he needs Samuel to go along with it. So he says, Please return with me that I may worship. 
But Samuel said to Saul, verse 26, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Verse 27, Samuel turns to go, and Saul grabs the edge of his robe and tore it. Now why is he grabbing the edge of his robe? Samuel's heading out, and he grabs him to keep him there. I need you here. You know, rip! So Samuel turns to him and says to him in verse 28, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Who's better than him? See in the next chapter, it's a little humble shepherd boy named David. David. Who has a heart for God. Will he sin? He will sin. But he will repent when he sins. Saul never repents. He simply acknowledges his sin. We have this myth going around in Christianity that you can just confess your sins and he is faithful and just forgive you of all your iniquities. But it also says if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Right? In other words, you, you confess and turn back onto the road of obedience. It's not a matter of just saying the words and then going on your own way and thinking God will forgive you. He says, also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. God's done with you, Saul. That's the punishment for your disobedience. But Saul can still obey God, but he has to obey God now as not king. And Saul doesn't want to obey God as not king. He wants to obey God as king. So then Saul says, verse 30, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul and Saul worshiped the the Lord. Samuel. Saul worships the Lord. So what happens is, Saul won't walk with him. He's walking with the people. The king out in front, walking. The prophet is with the people. He's really separated. He doesn't get the symbolism of it. And then Saul goes back, and what does he do? He worships the Lord. When the Lord has rejected him. So look at what Samuel does in verse 32. Samuel said, Bring me Agog, the king of the Amalekites. And Agog came to him cheerfully. Bring the king in. The prophet wants to see you. I'm safe. He comes in happy. The death sentence that should have been mine is over. Saul's here. Samuel's here. They're worshiping their God. I'm going to be a vassal. (laughs) You know, it's going to be all right. Samuel said, As your sword made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. And he hewed Agog to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. That's a whack attack, you know. Done with you. You should have died back there. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to the house of Gibeoth. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, if you know the story of Saul, some of you do, Saul's going to get pretty desperate. He's going to go to the sacrifice area and instead of inquiring of the Lord through the prophet, he's going to inquire of the Lord by doing the sacrifice and all the offerings himself and he's not a priest. And he's going to get in trouble for that. He still won't learn. He's going to go to uh, the 
medium at Endor. I don't know if she's a medium or an extra large or a witch or what. But some spiritualist at Endor after Samuel is dead. And she's going to say, i got to talk to Samuel. Bring him up. And God's going to let Samuel come up from death and say to Saul, what is wrong with you? And rebuke, Saul doesn't get it. Because Saul believes that sacrifice and mercy and grace and all those wonderful things is all you need. And he doesn't understand that there is both trusting and worshiping and grace and obedience. And the struggle for obedience is not in his, in his thinking. Now the next chapter, David is anointed king, but David won't become king because David will not usurp Saul when he's playing king. And Saul will persecute David. And there's an enormous message in all of that. But I want you to see the heart of David. So I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40, verses 4 to 8. This is David's psalm, and David gets it. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, there would be, they'd be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. My ears you have opened. In other words, that I may heed you. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. So I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book as is written to me. I delight to do your will. O oh my God, your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. I will not restrain my lips. Now, this is clearly a messianic text that is quoted in Hebrews regarding Jesus, who is the son of David, right? But David is saying in the scroll, it's, it's written to me. How blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute iniquity but who walks in the ways of the Lord. David gets it. God will be merciful to me because I trust Him to forgive me and I will struggle to obey Him. My obedience will be the sign of my repentance and God will bless that. It's not found in the sacrifices. It's found in obedience. Now David sins, we all know that, so I want you to turn to him uh, Psalm 51, verses 14 to 19. Everybody makes the primary deal his uh, sleeping with Bathsheba. A grievous sin. But he covered it up by making sure her husband was dead. And then he covered that up by marrying the grieving widow. Looking so spiritual. And Nathan the prophet says, let me tell you a story. This man had a sheep, just one little sheep. And this other guy took that sheep and he sacrificed it. And David says, as the Lord lives, that man shall die. And Nathan says, you are the man. And you hear the words of God saying... Didn't I pick you? Didn't I make you the king of it? Say, echoing the words to Saul. But Saul only confesses his sin. He doesn't change. Look at David. Verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will rejoice and sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth may declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. Why? Because right now, his behavior denies what those symbolize. 
That's why God says, these people draw near me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Will you stand before me in this place which is called by my name and say we are delivered, we are saved to do all these sins? Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We're to turn from it. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. By your favor do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. Righteous sacrifices. In burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. When will the sacrifices be the the glory of God? In the kingdom. When the Messiah is there. And sin has been dealt with. And the sacrifices are manifest of people who have repented and been saved. And will will be seen there. Now they're almost a mockery. I think of that every time I'm in a group that's singing, I surrender all. Westminster, we used to occasionally sing, I surrender some. Trying not to lie to God. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 1. This is a common theme throughout the scriptures. I could have done a whole series just on this, but I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to kind of do one one quick message. In Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 11, God says, What are your multiple sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, I take no pleasure in blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. That's the context of now come together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. It's not just come to me, say the words and it's over. It's get rid of this crap in your life and walk in my ways. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. I was never taught this. I was actually taught that confession was better than sacrifice. And obedience wasn't possible. So don't even try. Micah chapter 6. Many of you have this memorized because you learned to sing it. Verse 6 of chapter 6 of Micah. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice and love mercy or kindness and walk humbly with your God. Jeremiah picks up this theme as well in chapter 7. This is a fascinating chapter because Jeremiah is uh, giving this message at the temple and the northern kingdom's been destroyed, and then the southern kingdom's going, well, we're okay, we got the temple. We got the holy stuff. 
The holy stuff will protect us. We, you know, we, we do the right gyrations. We've got the offerings. We've got the sacrifices. We've got the ark. We're, we're covered. So in front of that, Jeremiah is saying, this is all going, going away. Because it mocks God. When we do the series on music, we often in our singing mock God, not praise Him. And so in verse 22 he says, I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, he told them the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. Well, I don't get it. We'll get there. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And you will walk in all the way that I command you, and it, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and their own stubbornness of their evil heart and went backwards and not forward. What did they do? Oh, we're going to live our own life, but we'll do the sacrifices. We're going to live our own life, but we're going to, we're going to gather. We're going to live our own life, but we're, we're, going, to, we're going to have the holy days because they're fun. Okay? And, and if they get in our, in our way, we may do them less, but, but basically we have a life to live. Which makes the meaning of the sacrifices a mockery of God. So Hosea, chapter 6. And I know it's hard to find some of these minor prophets. Got to work on that. That's why the readings help. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant, and they have dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of wrongdoers, Tracked with bloody footprints. What he's saying is, their behavior is not matching the words. Just saying, oh yes, I'm a sinner. I'm going to keep being a sinner. But I need your grace, God, is not a biblical prayer. God, give me grace that I will turn from my sin and walk in your ways. Okay, two more passages and then I'm done. Matthew chapter 9. See what Jesus has to say about this. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 9. Jesus was going on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened as Jesus was reclining in the house... Many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees saw this and they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard them and he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now keep that in mind and turn over to chapter 12. Verses 1 to 7. Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said, Look, your, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read that David, when he was hungry, he and his companions, they entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for him to eat, but only for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that the Sabbath, the priests of the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. <clears throat> 
Now remember I said all these people that are judgmental about what people are doing, what people are not doing? Because what we've done is we've turned this obedience into the letter of the way I interpret it. Saul interpreted the word of the Lord the way he wanted it interpreted. David struggled to know what God's interpretation was. And that struggle is going to be a little bit messy. And that's why grace is there. It's not there for rebellion. It's not there for iniquity. It's there for the struggle of lordship. And what Jesus is talking about and what Samuel was talking about to Saul is priorities. And the issue really is about priorities. God prefers mercy over sacrifice. He prefers obedience over sacrifice. He prefers compassion over sacrifice. There are some commandments that are greater than other commandments. We've been told all sin is equal. It's not true. All sin is not equal. All sin comes short of the glory of God. But all sin is not equal. They have different punishments. If they have different punishments, there are weightier ones and lighter ones. And that's the issue. This whole thing is about priorities in our spiritual life. By the way, that's what Lent is about. Lent is about priorities, just like the month of Elul and the days of awe is about getting back to the priorities of God. It's not just about giving something up. Oh, I've sacrificed chocolate for Jesus. Probably not a big thrill for him. That's not the point of it. It may be something you need to do to fight your body's lust because you can't get delivered from that to move forward other things. But that's not the point. The point is to realign our priorities and God has set some priorities. We know what the first and greatest commandment is. We know what the second commandment is. We know that these other things fall under line with that and sometimes there's something greater that needs to be taken care of rather than this strict obedience of this item. For example, on the Sabbath, if, if a, a beast of burden has fallen into a ditch, you get there and you get it out of the ditch. And if it is owned by somebody you hate, well, you have the perfect excuse. Somebody's donkey's fallen in the ditch and I hate that jerk. Well, I'd like to help you, but it's the Sabbath. The scripture says, you shall surely help him. Because that's the weightier matter. Jesus talked about, you should have done the weightier matters and not left the other ones undone. This is about spiritual priorities. And we need to think about spiritual priorities. So what's the conclusion of this thing? Well, I think we have three options. First option is the one most done. Ignore the priorities. Do what feels best. Worship and ceremony is easier than obedience. So let's go to church and sing and praise God. And that's the sum total of some people's Christian life. Particularly Christian musicians. And I know that because I was one. Preachers too. Study the word because I have a sermon to do. Obey the word? I don't have time. I'm in ministry. So, I don't think ignoring the priorities is a good strategy. Okay? You're not on the same page with God. Second one. Then let's just do the first priority. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And let's drop all the other nonsense. Many use the priority to ignore or drop the lesser things. We decide what the priority is, but even if you say, seek first the kingdom of God and, and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you, I'm not going to get a job because I just have to seek the kingdom. I'm just going to do the priority. I'm a single issue person. Jesus said very clearly that that's foolish, that we need to... Do the weightier matters and not leave the other things undone. He said, you guys are tithing your vegetable garden. And you're leaving out the weightier things like mercy and justice, right? Which are greater than sacrifice. 
Or the third option, which is the option I think we should be struggling with. We should obey according to the priority of God. Now there's a problem with this. You can't obey according to the priority of God if you don't know what the priority of God is. And that's why we are to study to show ourselves approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Not taking a verse here and a verse there, but searching the scriptures daily and all the more to see if these things are so and what's their priority and and doing that. So to know the Lord and to obey his commandments based on his priority, not ours. And to not judge others, but to say to God by our obedience that we have a heart for him and we want to show him by our trust and obedience. It is not my job to correct everybody who says something wrong or does something that I think is not a full approach to the faith. If they ask me, I can give a reason why I do it this way. But it's not my job to be the inspector of everybody else. And one of the questions I get more often than not by students is, well, what if somebody's not doing this? Uh, What should I tell them? And my normal answer is, do you have any right to speak into their life? No, I, I don't know them very well. Then I would shut up. Okay? Because you will just come across as somebody judging them and not admonishing them. But if you know somebody well, and you all know this, if somebody you know really has your interests at heart, they really care about you. You know that. And they come to you and say, I don't understand why you did that. What's the sound of this bleeding I hear of the sheep? Okay? Then we will more likely say, I have sinned. I have done the wrong thing. I confess that before God. I am now going to correct whatever I can correct. I'm going to walk in the ways of the Lord. That person will be blessed of God. Not the person who who feigns worship in services. But the one who has worshipped God all week. And then rejoices in the Shabbat. And then on the first day of the week, as is our custom, we get our focus back on God that we may walk in His ways for this week until the next Sabbath comes when we enter into His rest. And week by week, month by month, year by year, we become nearer to the God who we love. Let's pray.